simple words. Service, I'll be your servant, Lord. Scripture, I'll study your Bible. I'll find out more about you, Lord, and your will for my life, and I'll find out your promises. And number three, suffering. I won't run from it like I used to. I won't be afraid of it. I won't cower in the corner. Lord, I will step up to it. I will embrace it. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3, would you? Philippians chapter 3. While you're turning to Philippians chapter 3, let me ask you a question, and please don't raise your hand, but have you ever made something only to find out you made it wrong? Maybe it was a, a model plane or something, and, or maybe it was an oil painting, whatever. But as you got into it, you started realizing, you know, this doesn't look right. And then, you know, the ugly truth, ah, I made a mistake. Has that ever happened to anyone? Because it's happened to me more than once. And you know, this is very discouraging and it's always tempting just to give up and throw it away. This kind of thing happens in the Christian life where Christians make mistakes. They get their eyes off the Lord. They start putting too much emphasis on the wrong thing. And at some point, they realize, wow, uh, boy, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. Well, I, I like you to know that God doesn't get as discouraged as we do. And so God has another way of dealing with uh, mistakes. Now, let me tell you a true story that began back in 1405 A.D. That's a long time ago now, isn't it? 1405 A.D. It seems that the cathedral in Florence, Italy, decided they wanted about 12 statues to adorn the outside of their cathedral. And they wanted Old Testament figures. And so they hired the famous sculptor Donatello. And so they hired him on, paid him quite a bit of money. And after the first five years, he had finished his first sculpture of uh, Old Testament leader Joshua. And he finished that up and everyone admired it and applauded and it was great. And then he started in on the second sculpture. And so over a period of about 50 years or so, uh, Donatello was turning out these sculptures. And so uh, finally, um, old Donatello, he's getting pretty old, 1463, so over 50 years have gone by, He's getting pretty old, and so the, the cathedral, <clears throat> they hired on another sculptor, a young man named Agostino de Duccio, and they put Donatello to supervise Agostino. So right away, Agostino went to the northern part of Italy to the famous uh, white marble quarries in an area called Cara, C-A-R-R-A, and he chose out a huge block of white marble. And he had it sent back to the cathedral in Florence. Well, a couple of years go by, and uh, Agostino and Donatello are both complaining about the marble, how it's kind of too brittle. But over those three years, Agostino managed to get the shape of the legs and the feet and the torso. And then in 1466, Donatello dies. And so Agostino is discouraged and he quits. And he said, this, this chunk of rock 
you know, was bad from the get-go. They sold us bogus goods or something, but it's too brittle. It's inferior quality. And so he walks off the job. Well, the cathedral didn't know what to do. So uh, they thought about it for 10 years. 10 years goes by. And so they decided they were going to hire another young sculptor and maybe he could fix this thing up. So they hired Antonio Rosellino. And Antonio also complained about the marble. And he didn't last too long and he quit. And then the marble sat there for a couple of decades in the cathedral courtyard. It was a colossal waste of time and money. And people were talking about carving it up, chopping it, you know, selling it in chunks, getting some money, getting whatever they could for it. But something else happened that would not only salvage this marble, but would create something of incredible, breathtaking beauty. And I'm going to tell you what happened at the end of the sermon, so stay awake. But first, let's have a word of prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in the business of changing lives. It may well be that there's someone here today seeking just that very thing and wishing they had a new life, wishing that somehow they could start over or that you would do a a work, a miracle in their lives. Father, I pray you would encourage that one or possibly there's someone online watching right now with this same desire. Truly, Heavenly Father, we probably should all have that desire, shouldn't we? So, dear Father, please work in our hearts today. And if there be someone here today who's not sure about their eternity, they're afraid that if they die, they're not sure where they be. Help them, Lord, to learn the simple gospel, the plan of salvation. How that heaven is a free gift, not something earned or worked for or purchased, but something to be received. And so bless us now together as we study the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, for the last couple of Sundays, I've been working on a little sermon series called My Three Sacred Vows. And I believe with all my heart that these sacred vows, if any Christian, any born-again man, woman, or young person will get a hold of these and will practice them day by day, God absolutely will change their life. They will transform their life into something incredible, wonderful, and beautiful. Now, the first sacred vow, do you remember? It begins with the letter S. What is it? Do you remember? Service. That's right. Some of you remember. Service. And the idea means, Lord... Uh, I've been serving myself long, too long, too long now. So Lord, I'm going to start serving you. And I'm going to start to learn how to serve you more than I'm serving myself. It doesn't mean you have to quit your job and go into full-time Christian service. But it means that you need to be a full-time Christian. You need to be living for the Lord at home, at work, at school, wherever you might be. God does call people to full-time service. And hallelujah for that. But we're all called to live our lives 100% for the Lord. And so every day we need to get alone with God first thing in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. Um, I want to serve you today. How can I serve you? Show me. Help me. And then we study the Word of God. Now this, comes, this brings us to our second sacred vow. 
And it also begins with the letter S. And it's the word what? Scriptures. Right. The Bible. The Scriptures. And we make a sacred vow before God that we're going to study. Study to show ourselves approved. That's what the New Testament says. We're going to systematically read the Bible so that we can learn three things. Number one, so that we learn more about God. Number two, so we can learn more about His will for our lives. Number three, so that we can learn more of His prayer promises, so that we can take those promises and we can go to God and we can pray those promises back to Him in order to see great and mighty things happen in our prayers. Many Christians all complain. My prayers don't seem to do any good. I don't know what the problem is. Well, the, one of the problems, maybe the main problem, is we're taking our will, not God's will, to the throne of grace. And it's not that hard to find out what the Lord's will is. And any of us can do it. And so making this second sacred vow means that every day I'm going to study the Word. I'm going to read the Word of God. So we're not talking about just looking up a random verse or reading one verse or two verses in the Bible. But we want to read maybe a few chapters every day and start systematically working our way through the Bible. Here at this church, we encourage Bible reading, and we have little Bible reading guides, and we give them out to you in the bulletin once a month, but we also have them in the little rack at the back, or I should say at the front as you come in the front door. There's a rack there. On the bottom there are these little colored pieces of paper, one for each month of the year. And if you will read uh, three to four chapters a day, in one year you've read the entire Bible through. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've read or not read the Bible, but you know if you've done it or not. Say, well, what's the big deal? What's the payoff? The payoff is you will get to know God more. You will get to know His will for your life. You will get to know His promises. He makes some amazing promises. And you will be able to grab those promises by faith and use them. It's all part of getting your life changed. In one year, you can have the whole Bible read through. I know of people who read the entire Bible through once a month. That's 12 times in a year. Now, back before COVID, we were encouraging people, read your Bible, and we were giving out these little certificates. Well, hopefully we're going to get back into that. When you read your Bible through, we want to encourage you and encourage the whole church by handing out a certificate. And we have people here today that have read their Bible through numerous times. They're getting enough of these certificates to wallpaper a wall in their home. And that's a good wallpaper, by the way. You'll never, ever, ever regret having read the Bible. Never. But you will regret not having read the Bible. You will regret that one day. But you'll never regret spending time, investing that time into reading God's Word. So the first sacred vow is what? Service. Say it together with me. Service. The second sacred vow is what? Scripture, that's the second sacred vow. Well, today, I want to give you the last of the three sacred vows that, again, I believe will, will transform your life. It can't help but, it can't help but transform your life. You know, if you want to get to uh, Chilliwack, you get up on the number one highway and you just start driving east. And eventually, you're going to come to Chilliwack. You can't help it. It's there. Well, you get up on God's highway and you will get to a transformed life. For some, it'll be quicker. For some, it'll be a little slower. But it will happen if you will take these three sacred vows. 
these are three sacred vows that have changed my life. And so I'm speaking a little bit of experience here, but this third sacred vow actually comes to you today cloaked in a little bit of secrecy because people don't tend to see what it is because it doesn't look like what it is. Um, That's why last week when I said, I'm not going to tell you what it is because you might not believe me. And so hopefully you believe me today. Hopefully, you know, you hold off your judgment until you've heard the whole sermon. And then you can make your your judgment on it. That's fine. You can choose to believe whatever you like. But this third sacred vow is one that really hit my heart. Now, to illustrate what I'm talking about here, um, probably we are all aware of the physical benefits of exercise. I'm sure if I were to ask you, do you think exercise is a good thing to do or a bad thing to do? you'd probably say, oh, it's a good thing to do. And I think that we're all generally aware of that. And we generally know that when you exercise muscles, that the muscles tend to to grow and get stronger. We all tend to know that. But not many of us know what happens on the molecular level when we exercise, what actually happens to those muscles to make them grow. What is it that happens? Well, I'm not claiming to be a molecular engineer or you know, an expert in the field, but I've done some extensive reading on this. And I find that people who study the growth of muscles in the body, they tell us that exercise causes microscopic tears in the muscle tissue. And so the size and severity of the tears depends upon the intensity of the exercise. If you do a lot of heavy-duty exercise, you're going to get a lot more tearing going on in your muscles. And this is why our muscles feel sore and painful after we've done some exercise. We start feeling the hurt. Now, people who play a physical sport once a year, they really know this. They, uh, uh, they go all year, then, then the company party, they, go, they play softball or they play volleyball. And how are they the next day, usually? Has this happened to anyone here? Huh? No one willing to? Yeah, well, it's happened to yours truly, too. And, and you know, the next day it's ooch, ouch, oh, and, and the pain. And we know where it came from. No one beat us up in the night. We know that it was that game of softball, that crazy game of volleyball that caused all of the pain. That's because of the microscopic tearing that goes on in the muscle tissues as we're doing that strenuous exercise. And so we hurt. But the body rushes to heal the the tears by growing more cells and fusing them together with your muscles. And so this healing process relieves the soreness, and builds the muscles. And there is the payoff for all of the sweat and time and pain exercising at the gymnasium. That's the payoff right there. Now, no one wants the pain. No one wants to have sore muscles in the morning. We all want to have you know, good, strong muscles in our body, but we don't want the pain that goes along with it. But folks, that's the only way we can get strong muscles is to go through the pain, the tearing that happens on a microscopic level. Back in high school, the coach used to say, no pain, no gain. You've gone to the same high school I went to. You had the same coach, didn't you? And he was probably right, wasn't he? 
No pain, no gain. You hate to admit it, but there's some truth there, isn't there? A little bit anyhow. Now, this third sacred vow is the word, and it begins with S. Can you guess what it is? Suffering. Suffering. Say that word out loud with me, please. Suffering. It won't hurt you to say it. So say it out loud with me again. Suffering. All right. This is our third sacred vow. We got service. We've got scripture. And this is the third one. Suffering. Now right away, someone here today is saying, I don't think I want to hear this. You know, they're they're turning their hearing aids down. All right. You know, I don't want to hear this one. But uh, by the way, I bought a hearing aid. I did. What did you say? <laughs> I, I bought a hearing aid, and it was the cheapest one I could find. I figured, well, maybe one day, I don't think I'm quite ready yet, but maybe one day I'll, I'll need it. And so I bought this, and I put it on, and I started walking around, and I had to say to my wife, can you please talk a little quieter? Because that thing, really, it amplified for a real cheap, I mean cheap, $12, $15 or something, cheap. Uh, that thing really picked up the, the, the noise, the racket, so I had to. And then she'd see me walking around with this thing, and she'd know, oh, I have to be, talk to my husband very quietly, because he can hear me think with that thing on. Well, anyhow, uh, get back to the message here. Um, the third word is suffering. Now, another way to illustrate this, maybe, uh, for those of you who can remember, or those of you who have children growing up, is the pains of childhood, the growing up pains, all the pains that children have to go through and through the teenage years when their body is stretching and growing, all of that pain leads to adult life. We don't get to be adults until we go through the growing process, right? None of us are, except Adam, Adam and Eve, I suppose, that's it. But the rest of us, we started life very short. We started life very young. And we had to go through this growing process that lasted a number of years. And then we became adults. Some of us wish we could turn back to some of those those years, I suppose. But that's not going to happen. Suffering is God's pathway, listen to this, to power and blessing. Now this is the payoff. You remember in the gym, all those achy muscles, but the payoff is, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, hey, looking pretty trim there, fella. Well, that's the payoff. Suffering is God's pathway to power and blessing in the Christian life. It took me a long time to figure this one out, but it's so very true. It's His way of transforming our lives. Now, if your Bible is open at Philippians chapter 3, I want you to see here, we'll just look at it quickly. Verse 7, Paul, speaking about his life, and he's saying basically there was a time when he thought certain things were important, but then as he got growing in the Lord, he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. There were certain things that would hold him back, and so he gladly gave them up. Verse 8, yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency The word excellent means to rise above normal, something super duper. So for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
most of us, I hope all of us, would want to have an excellent knowledge of the Lord Jesus. To know Him thoroughly and intimately. To know how He thinks about things. To know what He would do in a certain situation. To know His heart. And we can know that, just like Paul said that he came to know that, but he went through the pain of giving up certain things in his life to get there. He says, uh, knowing uh, Christ Jesus my Lord, watch, for whom I have suffered, there's that word, suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, so many people today, you ask them, you think you're going to go to heaven? Oh, I think so. Why? I'm a pretty good guy. I try and keep the Ten Commandments. That's them in their righteousness. They're trying to boast of their righteousness. You think you should die and go to hell? Uh, no, I don't think I would go to hell. Why? Well, I've never murdered anyone. I've never committed adultery. I've never robbed any banks. Oh, have you ever told any lies? Well, sure, who hasn't? Eh, you're out. It only takes one sin. That's all it took for Adam and Eve, right? Remember that? It wasn't the sin of murder. They just took something that they were told not to take. That's all of us. At some point in our life, we've all taken something out of a brother's room, a sister's room, taken something from our mom, dad, taken something from work. People scrounge from work all the time. They bring home things from work that they didn't buy. It wasn't given to them. They just thought, I could use that, and they take that. Um... That's called sin. And it just takes one of those to bar us from heaven. So people who brag, boast, or trust in their own righteousness, Paul said, not me, to be found in Him, that's in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, do this, don't do that, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Faith is you put your trust in God's promise. God's promise is if you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, that means the boss, and your Savior, He's the one who can save you from going to hell, thou shalt be saved. That's how you receive Jesus Christ. Some people have been brought up saying, uh, open your mouth, let me put this little wafer in there. Receive Christ. You receive Christ. You receive... That's not receiving Christ. That's receiving a wafer or a cookie, but that's not receiving Christ. Christ can only be received by faith. By faith. Jesus dying on the cross, there was two thieves. One of the thieves said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he didn't receive any wafer on his tongue. He didn't, he didn't do any good works there. And yet Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That thief got saved, born again into God's family because in his heart he received Christ. Zacchaeus, he was a thief, a liar, a tax collector. Not all tax collectors are that way, okay? But he was, he was one of those. And he fleeced the system, he knew how to do it, and he was a bit of a crook. But God was working on his heart. And when he saw Jesus, remember he had to climb up a tree? Remember this story? Because he was a little guy and there was... All these big tall people around him, he couldn't see. So he climbs up a tree to see Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to see this Savior. And in his heart, something happened. Because Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down. He said, I must dine at your house. I'm just paraphrasing what Jesus said, but he said that, that Zacchaeus is now you know, a son of Abraham. And uh, that salvation had come to his home. 
Somewhere between the branch of that tree and the ground, Zacchaeus had received Christ in his heart. He repented of his sin and received Christ in his heart. And that's how men and women get saved, born again. That's what happened to me, April the 6th, 1975, 46 and a half years ago. As an 18-year-old, confused young person, I finally realized that Jesus died for my sins, that I don't have to go to hell that he can be my savior and I can receive him by faith. And I did that. That was on a Sunday, April the 6th, 1975, around 12 noon. And I received Christ into my heart. That's when I got saved. People get saved in different places, different times, different circumstances, but how they get saved is all the same. It's exactly all the same. No one gets to heaven except by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. That means not through the Ten Commandments, not through the church ordinances, not through giving, not through uh, whipping yourself, not through lighting candles, not through saying Hail Marys, nothing, nothing, nothing but the person Jesus Christ. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one we have to go through, folks. Our good works, although we like good works, they're not going to get us to heaven. No can do. Only Christ can do it. And so we get back here in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 3, and he said, not my own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. Now watch verse 10, and this is what I want you to zero in on. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There's the power we're talking about. Power in prayer, power over sin, power over bad habits, power over the flesh, power over this world, power over the devil's influence. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, what's that next word? Say it out loud. Sufferings. There's the suffering. They're connected together. You will see that they are connected together. The power and the suffering go together. This is God's way. Remember, the microscopic tears in the muscle tissue bring about the power of the body to heal it. The bottom line, the muscles grow stronger. That's the way. Now, this is God's fantastic power that He has available for you, for me, for any born-again man, woman, young person. Take your Bible and turn to the left. Go to the 2 Corinthians. So don't, don't go very far, you'll miss it. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12 And I want you to see it again. Here it's uh, worded a little bit differently, but the bottom line's the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you to look here. Verse 7, Paul was saying, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. Some people think, oh, that's a sin. He's got a particular sin. And that's his thorn in the flesh. No, it's not. It's not at all. A thorn in the flesh is not a sin. The thorn in the flesh is something else. Now it could be his eyesight. Many think it was his eyesight. Uh, There's other physical things it could have been, but it, it has nothing to do with sin. As you'll see in the context, it's more of a physical thing. He goes on to say, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. The word buffet means to really beat up. Lest I should be exalted above measures. Well, that's another thing I've read. It could be the uh, thorn in the flesh, could be all of the physical beatings that Paul went through because he went through a lot of that stuff. He, 
he was no stranger to getting roughed up. So it could have been that. Um, myself, I think it was his eye, eyesight, but my opinion only. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, Now folks, would you please read these words out loud with me now. Read them out loud. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see it? There it is right there. There's the, the weakness and there's the power. The suffering and the glory, they go together. Verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Say those last words with me. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Notice again the connection between power and suffering. They go together. The tears in the muscles bring about stronger muscles. I want you to see one more example of this. If you turn to the book of Acts, turn back to the left, the book of Acts, and go to chapter 5. Go to chapter 5. We'll just take a quick look at another example, a New Testament example of this. Now, the uh, apostles had been teaching and preaching the Lord Jesus, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, were getting really upset. And so they arrested Peter and John, threw them in jail, and then um, brought them up uh, before their uh, council and said, what are you doing with all this teaching? You're trying to bring... Jesus' blood upon us. And they said, don't, uh, don't teach or preach anymore. Like that. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And folks, let's be honest. That is our bottom line. We ought to obey God rather than men. Right now, in this country, we have the freedom to preach the gospel. We have the freedom to go door to door with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if the day ever came where our government says, you will no longer take the gospel outside your church, you will no longer try to proselytize people from other religions, it is forbidden, it is against the law, then we got a problem. Because God is telling us to go into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. And there just happens to be 650,000 creatures here in the city of Surrey. People who are on their way to hell. They need to know that Jesus is the answer. And so, if a change in our government like that ever happened, then we'd have to make a decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to obey God? Or are we going to obey man? Now, praise the Lord, so far, we haven't had to make a decision like that. You know, in all the years of our country, we don't have to do that. The free country, they say. Well, so far it is, isn't it? Uh, except it sure costs a lot to live here, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but here in Acts chapter 5, here's what happened. They, uh, they, they put the, uh, the apostles to one side. And they had a council amongst themselves in verse 33. But you see, they were cut to the heart. Right there in verse 33. And so they, they talked. This guy Gamaliel, doctor of the law, he stood up and says, well, now be careful what you do here. So look, please, now at verse 40. Uh, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles, and look at those next three words. 
and beaten them. That means they, they took a rod and laid it to their back. They beat these poor guys. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. So there's the suffering. Now, verse 41, And they, the apostles, they departed from the presence of the council. Oh, wait a minute. Look at this next word. Rejoicing. Imagine that. When was the last time you ever rejoiced after getting beaten or something? Someone tells you to sit down and shut up. You rejoice. They did. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. There's the word again, to suffer shame. Sometimes, as a Christian, you'll suffer for it. Someone will see you carrying a Bible and they'll make, you know, they'll dance around you and point a finger and call you Holy Joe and they'll draw other people's attention to you. Now, I've had that happen to me. People, they, they try to publicly um, um, shame me. And that's, that's happened, you know, throughout the years of my life. As, as a Christian. But when that happens, we can start to praise the Lord. So here, they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. And here's the payoff in the next verse here. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. They had the power and the grace to do it. They were doing exactly what God was calling them to do. Can you imagine having the power of God flow through your life so that you could really be the Christian God wants you to be? Imagine having that kind of power. Well, that's exactly what God imagines too. And God wants that for every one of us. God will give us this power, but only if we go about it God's way. If we go about salvation some other way than through Jesus, we're not going to get saved. We're not going to get to heaven. It has to be through Jesus. It can't be Jesus and our good works. It can't be Jesus and our baptism. Jesus and our church attendance. Jesus plus anything else. It doesn't work. It's Jesus and Jesus only to get to heaven. And if we want to get the transformed life and the power of God, it has to come God's way. And it's taken me years and years to figure out that it all boils down to these three simple words. Service. I'll be your servant, Lord. Scripture. I'll study your Bible. I'll find out more about you, Lord, and your will for my life, and I'll find out your promises. And number three, suffering. I won't run from it like I used to. I won't be afraid of it. I won't cower in the corner. Lord, I will step up to it. I will embrace it. Going uh, astray is human nature, isn't it? All we like sheep have gone astray. That's human nature. It's built right into us. Psalm 119, verse 67. King David wrote and said, Before I was afflicted, there's the suffering. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. God knows what He's doing when He brings suffering into our lives. He doesn't delight, per se, in watching us squirm with pain. That's not the idea. He knows every teardrop. He knows every heartache. But He allows, He will allow certain things, just the right combination, in order to bring about the right result in our lives. And that's why we need this third thing. We all need a measure of godly suffering. And right away, we say, well now, 
What kind of suffering? You know, I want to know. Tell me. What am I in for? Folks, we have to leave that up to the Lord. We have to let God be God when it comes to those areas of our lives. When we give our body to God, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. And we're told to do that, to give our physical body to God like a gift. And when we do that, then he owns it. And then he knows how to take care of the body. You'll find that God can do a better job with things than you or I can. He's much smarter, much stronger, much more wealthy. He can do what we cannot do. And in this area of suffering, we're just going to have to leave it with him that he knows. He knows what we need. He knows what we don't need. He will shield and protect us from things that are no good for us, but he will open a window or door to allow something in that will result in his glory and our good. Now, I want you to see something. This is so very precious. And it's something you need to know about the Heavenly Father and how good He is at what He does. Turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. You don't have to go very far. John, chapter 15. And I want you to see something. In verse 1, John, chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Now, if you know anything about vines and grapes and so on, you've got this main vine, and off it you've got these branches and you get the clusters of grapes. Well, the Lord Jesus is using this and applying it to himself and the Heavenly Father and us, you see. Now, verse 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. So if there's no fruit for the Lord, God could take us away. Our work on earth is done. Our usefulness is over. Or he could just set us aside, maybe. But he goes on and says, every branch that beareth fruit. You say, well, that's good, isn't it? Yes, it's excellent. But watch what the Father does. He purgeth it. Now, if you know anything about these vine dressers, they, they have these little pruning shears, right? And they go in, they go clip, 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 snip, snip, snip. And little, all these things are falling to the ground. And you're thinking, oh, wait, you know, that, there's some good looking branches there. Are you sure you had to? Ooh, be careful with that. But... The master pruner knows what he's doing. One of our dear, dear friends and um, godly veteran missionaries is Richard Allen. He's up in Vernon. By the way, COVID is causing a lockdown in that area. Please keep that dear brother in your prayers and for his ministry. But he also, I don't know if you know this, but he's also a, uh, a master tree trimmer. He knows all about trees and how to trim them. He's an arborist. He's taken the courses, the training. He's had the year's experience. So when he was down last, a month or two ago, I asked him, brother, we've got this tree in our front yard and I don't know what we've been feeding it, but the thing is taller than the house and it's as bushy as can be. Would you come and do something? He said, sure. So he came over, brought his tools and he shimmied up the tree and he started hacking and he started cutting and these branches are falling. Big honk and branches are coming down off the tree and I'm getting a little nervous. Will I have a tree left? I like that tree. And so finally he was finished. And what he did was he pruned it so that the wind could go through it. Otherwise the tree, he said, it's like a sail in the wind. The wind is going to blow on the tree and the tree is going to crack and come right over. 
But this way, the wind can blow through it and allow for more growth. He did a great job. The tree looks great. We had a lot of stuff to haul away, though, you know, and chop up and all. But that tree looks great because he knew what he was doing. Your heavenly father is smarter than any human arborist. God knows what he's doing. And if you're bringing forth some fruit, that's great. And what God will do is he will start doing little snips and pruning in order for you to bring forth more fruit. That's the idea. And only our Heavenly Father is able to do that. So when we yield ourselves to Him, to God, He will bring about the necessary pruning and trimming and suffering, if, if you will, in order to make us more like Jesus. And when we're more like Jesus, we're going to have more of the power of God on us so that we can bring forth more fruit for God. That's how the system works. It's a wonderful system. And so the power of Christ, now we're talking the third vow, the third sacred vow, it equals the power of Christ. The power of Christ is connected also with our second vow, which is the scriptures. Now we're talking three sacred vows. So the third one is connected with the scriptures and the scriptures are connected with the service. All three are connected together. You can't pick and choose. Well, pastor, I like one and two, but I'm not sure about number three, so I'm going to leave that go. I'm going to pick up on sacred vow number one and sacred vow number two. Do it. I encourage you, but don't expect a full blessing because you're, you're leaving off one-third, 33% of the recipe. You're not using 33% of the instructions, so you're not going to get 100% of the result. But if you will, Go before God daily and make God the master. You're going to be the servant. And the scriptures are going to be your instruction book. And suffering now is no longer a stranger because you realize you pulled the cloak off it. You pulled the veil back. You say, who is this stranger? And you pull the veil back. This is no stranger. This is a friend. Suffering is my friend. You say, well, what kind of suffering? Any kind of suffering God wants to give. It's my friend. Why? Because it's going to build the power of Christ in me. It's going to make me more like Jesus. It's the, through suffering that we really get the payoff. Now, I know that there are certain religious Christian groups today that will try and tell you, if you're suffering, you're out of God's will. I beg to differ. I hugely beg to differ. I think they are really off on left field. Unless you're wealthy, unless you're healthy, unless you're smart, you're out of God's will. No, no, my friend, you let God be God and God will take you at your word. And so God wants us to welcome this friend. He wants us to welcome this friend called suffering and have fellowship with it. Remember that I may know him and the power, I'm sorry, and the fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection, because that's what will happen. God's Suffering is never a curse. It's always a blessing. Psalm 94, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord. God's chastening can come in different ways. It might be sickness. It might be financial loss. It could be anything. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Regardless of what the suffering is, all Christians are given God's promise in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good. And so we got to bring this to a close here. If you are wanting God's transforming power in your life to make your life something greater, more beautiful than you've ever seen before, then what you need to do is tell God today in prayer to tell Him that you're willing to receive this friend called suffering and embrace such a friend that He sends to you. The beginning of the sermon, I told you a story, part of a story, about a giant chunk of marble, partly carved, and it was given up on, and it was left to sit there in the cathedral courtyard for the better part of 25 years. But after 25 years, in 1501, the cathedral people decided to hire another sculpture to see if he could do something. So they decided on a 26-year-old sculpture. This 26-year-old, as a teenager, had gained a reputation as being a brilliant artisan. And so at 26 years old, this this sculpture studied this giant chunk of marble. He made numerous sketches and he started with his hammer and chisel to chip away. It took him three years. But in 1504, this 29-year-old sculptor, whose name was Michelangelo, unveiled one of his most famous sculptures and it was the 17-foot-tall statue of David. Today, that statue sits in the Academia Museum in Florence, Italy. Can you imagine this? A colossal mistake remade and done right by a mortal man. And if man can correct a spoiled piece of marble, how much more can Almighty God correct your life? And it may well be you're here today or maybe you're watching online. And you've spoiled your life. You've made some dreadful mistakes. You've opened the door to some really bad stuff maybe. You feel my life is really marred. It's really spoiled. Maybe you're you're thinking, it's too late. I have no time left in life to correct. Well, I have some good news. That God can take you just as you are. And transform your life into something absolutely beautiful. If you will come to him in prayer and start today with these three sacred vows. So I'd like to ask you if you would stand to your feet. We're going to have a word of prayer together. And I'd like to invite you to stand with me to your feet. And Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.